wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die. Hello and welcome back to another Toronto Till I Die, the Toronto FC fan show. I'm Mike Newell and heartbreak. If you're a TFC fan, you know it all too well. We'll recap Saturday's gut punch of a loss to DC United, um, as well as preview this weekend's tilt against Atlanta United. Continue our over-unders for TFC players uh, for this season and briefly touch on the resignation of Nick Bontis as Canada soccer president. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's just get straight into it um, with my co-host, <laughs> Mike Singh. Um, as always, no Jeffrey P. Nesker. Uh, he's on the sidelines uh, for today, but we hope to have him back next week. Mike, week one of MLS, it's back. How, how was your weekend? How much MLS did you watch? How much Apple TV did you take in? A lot, a lot, a lot. Obviously, covering the games for the league, um, trying to keep up with everything was a challenge with all all the games starting essentially at the same time. Well, not all of them, but like the block of games starting at the yeah. same time. It's, it is tough to keep up with all of it. I had the wraparound show going, and then I also obviously had on another screen the TFC. How was the wraparound? I didn't get to watch that. it because I was at uh, Scotland Yard. Shout out Kings of the North. I uh, went to watch a TFC game at the pub, so I didn't see the, the wraparound show. How was it? It was it was all right. It's not like red zone, so I was expecting mm-hmm. something more like that. Um, I think they're they're going to be learning on the fly, essentially how to the best way to go about it. There's still commercial breaks and everything like that. Um, yeah, I thought it was all right. There's a lot of good analysis uh, during the broadcast, which is cool. And yeah, just having a the ability to just jump from game to game to game, just the product itself, I think is going to be a win for the league. So I'm just interested to see just like how it grows. If anyone else. In the, in the chat and tuned into that. I'm interested to hear your feedback and your takes on that. Cause I was also like, to be honest, I was pretty much dived in TFC games. That was kind of in the periphery of, of what I was doing. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting because I was watching the Nashville NYCFC game on the train into the, into the city. Um, and I really enjoyed actually the coverage of the game. I think Mo Adu, um was doing color, on the on the broadcast i can't remember who the main commentator was but he was pretty good as well and um and and like we've talked about it but like the picture quality was oh fantastic is pristine it really is really good um the one thing that um i think is missing and i think those who subscribe to fubo and watch maybe the premier league or syria or anything like that um the halftime when you're watching a specific game it's a little bit weird because they go to like a big field shot and there's nothing yeah. really at times. So you're just watching, you're just listening to like crowd noise and stuff like that. And then they'll come League in. League Pass like a, does that too for yeah. like NBA MLB games. If you guys yeah. watch that at all, they do that. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, especially because there is a block of games, like all the East games tend to start in a block and all the West games start in a block. It kind of makes sense to me that, you know, you should have some kind of, wraparound halftime show that sort of touches each of those games and then you go back to obviously your game broadcast i know it's not exactly perfect because not every game is going to hit halftime at the same time but some type of uh you know a little bit of that i think would help um with the individual game feeds itself but i mean that's a small complaint really 
no yeah i i agree and having like focusing in on one game would be better than having to jump to other games during like key moments or big highlights yeah i get that like fubo does yeah we'll see man like it's 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 good that people have the option for a lot of these games to not only watch on apple tv but it seems like some of them will also or a good chunk of them will be on tsn as well so if you feel comfortable with that more comfortable with that just go for it man there you go there you go other than that um granddad's donuts that's what i did in hamilton this week was go to granddad's donuts um which uh by the way big recommendation if you ever come to to the steel city i grab some granddad's donuts uh by the lake (laughs) um we're not talking about our favorite donut places though do you have a a favorite donut place mike do you do you do donuts donut man i'm a little lame like crispy cream that's that's not lame man crispy crispy cream is like still a king it's a king I'm a little weird category. though like i don't i i i love chocolate so i just do like chocolate donuts like i can't really do like a vanilla with like a chocolate dip on top like i need the double chocolate no i i'm the same way i do a double chocolate tim hortons um though i can't <laughs> yeah. i can only do crispy cream maybe like once a year because like black people and diabetes man like i can't <laughs> you, you know what i mean like they give you the whole box man you don't get like one dangerous get, man. like all of them so i had a I good mean, donut is- in uh in chicago in really? Chicago, there's a do right donuts yeah shout out not just donuts like coffee everything was was fantastic all right nice all right there you go again we're giving chicago shots we should probably get sponsored <laughs> by the tourist board of chicago because uh, we're doing them so many favors all right um let's get into it uh we basically were just trying to use that as a delay tactic to not talk about how this uh game went on saturday but alas uh that's what we have to talk about here dc united three toronto fc two in um the best way i could describe sort of the emotion around the game was there was a lot of nervous anticipation before the game started just because i don't think we really knew what this team was going to look like and then Mm -hmm. they kicked the ball and i said it yesterday in the tunnel club they looked a lot like the team that ended last season uh in terms of the way they were playing it was sluggish it was slow it looked disjointed they didn't look like they were on the same page. I don't know if you had got the same feeling there, Mike. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to come on and say it feels like we never left <laughs> and last season never ended. It feels like we just picked up right where last season ended. And that's a that's a scary culture mentality Alarming. to still yeah. feel um, among the fan base. I feel, you know, maybe even part of that lingers with the team a little bit, right? Because... Yeah, there's been a lot of change and a lot of turnover. What is it? Five new faces that have come in into that starting 11, maybe four. But, you know, the key guys and guys who, you know, played an important role down the stretch last year are still there. So to have that sort of performance linger back in, that that's a, for me, that's that's a worry. And we need to exercise those demons. Toronto FC needs to exercise those demons as quickly as possible. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because, as, as you said, right, like sort of these, you had five new starters, almost six if you count Mark Anthony K, because he barely played near the end of the mm. season. Um, you know, but you have three new defenders in that back for a new goalkeeper and a new striker. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how you feel, but to be perfectly honest, I, I don't think they were really that much of the issue, Um on Saturday it was the guys you kind of expected to 
be able to guide those new players uh, that were were sort of suspect and missing. I, you know, a lot of people are in the comments have been harping on Michael Bradley. We've kind of gone over that before, um, but in general, a lot of people felt, and I felt too, that the midfield really, really struggled uh, on, on Saturday. Um, kind of picked it up a little bit in the second half, but you know in that first 45, they kind of looked like they were all over the place. Like they didn't look like they were organized or connected in any way. Yeah, it was really a tale of two halves that game minus the last 10 minutes of the game, which uh, we can get into in a little bit. But yeah, just, you know, talking about the midfield itself. I mean, that first goal, come on. Like all yeah. three of those guys were, first the, the Mark Anthony K, he has the ball, keeps your perfect control. And he just plays a misplaced pass when he has three, four options in front of him. That simply just cannot happen. You turn the ball over in the midfield and you get burned. But his second step to that was something that had to be done. And he, he went and closed down the guy who picked up the ball. And he got burned. Yeah. Like in in a way that you 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 have to take him out. Like you yeah. cannot let him get by you at that point because what happens is TFC intentionally want to trap and want to press into the corner in the first goal because that's where the guy had the ball and there's no options unless you were able to beat a player 1v1 in a very narrow space and that's what happened he beat Mark anthony k and with jonathan osorio and michael bradley already committing to the trap that they set up they both got beat with a single pass and i think by the time another another person who was at fault for that michael bradley by the time that they realized the problem that had occurred and Matthias Click picked with the ball in midfield with just the whole pitch essentially in front of him, Michael Bradley was too late to rotate and recognize the danger. He was, honestly, if you look back at the clip, he was jogging back uh, because he thought someone else was going to pick up Matthias Click. He didn't realize how everyone overloaded on the one side and, mm -hmm. and committed to stopping the ball there. And Michael Bradley got burned. So, yeah, I mean, the midfield for sure was a fault in the first goal. Um, and then, yeah, the, the first half overall, to be dominated by a team, and, I, and they were dominated in the they first were. half by a they team were. of DC It could have been two or three. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Who is missing? Taxi Fontas, who is one of their most important players was starting a 16-year-old at center back, had a couple other injuries that they're managing, a team that finished last place last year. To be dominated in that fashion to that team, not a great start for the for the Reds. But I I do I will say I did like how they responded yes. and were able to, you know, battle back and take the lead even when Lorenzo Insigne went down. I thought that was a really positive response. I thought Iowa Canola well, you know, there's a lot still to be desired with Iowa Canola. I'll say that was probably the best that we've seen him. Um, 100%. Aside from the Montreal game in the Canadian Championship last year. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And I think, yeah, it is concerning to, and, and it was funny, I had the same thoughts on Saturday. You know, this is a team in DC United who, in a lot of ways, are still in turmoil in terms of how their roster is going to shake out and, and the players that they're going to even keep on the roster. And th they looked like the team we thought TFC could potentially be. And I think there is a little bit of concern of whether or not a three-man midfield really works with the three guys you have. Because as good as they are, technically, um, they're not the quickest. 
neither are fleet of foot. And when you are setting up traps in corners like that, when you when your intention is to play like that, you either A, have to be quick enough to get back if you get beat, or as you mentioned, the tactical awareness to understand that, okay, we might be in trouble here. Maybe I need to, to just make a ticket a half step this way or a half step that way just to put myself in a position should something not quite go right. Um, and I, and I think that's something that needs to be worked on on the pitch. Um, it's part of our burning questions. We'll talk about it in previewing the game coming up, but you know, the, the midfield three, um, and this was a problem, not just this game, right? This is a problem. Even last season when they did play a midfield three, the same things were kind of happening. Now you had younger players and you didn't have a Mark Anthony K and Osorio was hurt for times, but you know, you're, you're seeing the same problems come up again and again, especially losing the ball in, in bad areas and then getting burned on transition. You know, if, if the same things keeps happening over and over again, you start to question, you know, is, th- is this actually the best plan for this team right now? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the thing like, like we're going down a slippery slope right now where we're connecting this team to last season. And maybe, maybe that there is some truth to that. Because, I mean, I started off by saying the feeling is still there. But I wonder if that's why we're doing that. Because, quite frankly, we've seen the trio of Jonathan Osorio, Mark Anthony K, and Michael Bradley on the pitch together for, like, maybe 180 minutes. So, like, it is still a fairly young, fairly new trio that we are watching. And, yeah, I understand where the the fear almost comes from when it comes to looking at those guys, because sample wise, aside from the game against Charlotte, which was amazing 45 minutes, not, not the greatest. And the problems that we discuss are glaring. Like when it does happen transitionally, yeah, it's quite obvious that they're being caught out and there's way too much space uh, left in the midfield. So yeah, like it's, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to say that trio is not going to work out. They're too slow. I'm not there yet, but I do hear the concerns that you're raising. It's not, it's not like it's something new. People have been banging this drum for a very long time about how slow TFC's midfield is. And I actually thought uh, Brandon Cervania, just a little shout out to him. I thought he was actually pretty good when he came on, brought some yes. life, brought some energy, closed down fairly well. Um, I thought that was all right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we do have to talk about it, you know, Lorenzo's injury. We don't have any update on it. We don't know what what the severity is. I, I guess there'll be probably Bob does his uh, minutes with the press tomorrow. So most likely we might hear. We'll is see. He doing it yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Bob's actually going to speak, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah. But I will be at training tomorrow. I'll try and get an update. As of this morning, I, I reached out to the club and there was no update. As yeah, of this so. Morning. So at this point, you know, can't really speculate on what it is other than we wish Lorenzo well. It did look like he was in a lot of pain. Uh, so he did have to come on, but come off. But I also found that TFC, when Io came on, got a little bit better in attack in terms of being able to just stretch that back for a little bit and not play in front of them as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and between Io and Diamande being able to run in behind, it started to cause DC problems, especially in the second half. It really started to take fruit in the second half. Um, Diamande did put the ball in the net. Now it was called back rightfully offside. But I feel like 
as they gain that understanding with each other, the midfield, the back, and Diamande, you know, he's going to try to exploit that space in behind more often than not. And he's going to get these right, right? The timing is going to come down, I feel. And, and once you do, you know, there should be goals there um, for TFC. Yeah, one of the things I, I was looking at is essentially uh, player maps after the game and where they spend like the average amount of their time. And to your point there, Iowa Canola came on as essentially a left winger. And when you look at Lorenzo Insigne's sort of heat map, that could have just been the way that the game was flowing in the first half. But he was dropping deep within his own half. Yeah. Right? When Iowa Canola came on, he was actually more so in the attacking half uh, on average. So that maybe that speaks to game flow or maybe that speaks to the the purpose of why Iowa Canola was brought on and how he could take advantage of, of a position that quite honestly, he hasn't really played that often left winger, um, which I mean, speaks to another concern about this team's depth. But I thought, I thought Io, like I said, um, he was dangerous. I mean, the finishing still, God, there's yeah. so much to be desired there. This couple touches, he has a bad touch. Like there are Rush to decent finish. starting points. Yeah, but he's he's far from the from a finished product, and I'm hoping that you know we can see him go back on one of those torrid paces like in 2020 and just see him break through. Um, but right now, it's it's not quite clicking for him. Although this, uh, I'll say it again, it was positive performance. Um, Dio, it took him a while to get involved in this for game, sure. Right, for sure. I think yeah. through 40 minutes, he had what six touches on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out how to how to use him. What do you think? What do you think about Dio? Yeah, I, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, I, I think, that, like you said, I think it's a combination of this team learning how to play with a generally a back to a striker who can play either back to goal or can run in behind. Um, I think that I think part of that was just simply look, TFC were being dominated and you didn't have a ton of the ball anyway. So how is your striker going to get a ton of touches when you don't have the ball? Um, but I also think that. Um, that the best use for him right now, especially as you know, you talking about setting up these traps in the attacking zone and trying to to keep the ball there, and essentially the idea is to get the ball to Bernadeschi and and use overlaps for Richie Larea's, then have have Diamande run in behind, spin off the shoulder of of a center back and run into those channels, right, and really give yourselves opportunities to to get forward and get on goal. So I I do think he will come good. Yes, I think it took him a while to get into the game, but once he did. Once he did, and once he was able to start getting in behind, even if the ball wasn't played to him, the threat of him running in behind made DC United sort of drop off a little bit in terms of pressing because he he and Io and Bernadeschi to a certain extent were starting to run in behind a little bit. And of course, leading to the first goal, you know, that overlapping run for Richie Larea, which was non existent first half, ended up leading to an actual goal, right? Led to the penalty um, opportunity. Yeah, and what a ball, by the way, by Michael Bradley, who, yeah. you know, we we, we said... We, we know we this. can do that. Yeah, he said on the show already, he he was probably at fault for one of the goals, if not two of the goals, I think, in my opinion. But overall, I actually thought he had a really good game aside from those two mistakes. Michael Bradley spray, was spraying balls all over the field. Um, he was solid in the midfield when in the right position um, and put in a, a Michael Bradley of performance that we're used to. 
Yeah, Richie for sure. Larea. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, no, Richie Larea, I just love the way that he won the penalty. Um, the way that he stayed on his feet and then was was clicked down. He earned that penalty. I think in the past we've seen him go down far too early, far too easily. So this time, just seeing him stay on his feet, uh, I, he was rewarded for it. So I thought that was positive. Yeah. And what you said about Dio, I think that's right. As the game wore on and he's more involved and he's actually you know, starting TFC's press. Um, I thought that that's when we saw a little bit better out of him. He, uh, he got himself more involved as the game went on and bang on. Um, and then of course, I think we're going to talk about him. Federico Bernardeschi stepping up and coolly slot, slotting home that penalty. Yeah. I mean, look, five star, he's, he, he was the best. He was the best TFC player on the pitch. I don't think that's any surprise or, you know, that that's not a hot take. Um, obviously scores the goal um assists assists on the second um uh, by you know hitting a fantastic free kick that uh, Tyler Miller has to come up with a uh, look Tyler Miller made a fantastic save on that that was going in yeah um if he if he doesn't touch it and then of course Mark Anthony K my over under prediction correct um <laughs> puts it in with the left foot follows up uh and makes it 2-1 and you know I I think that as much as a lot of people are dogging on Mark Anthony K, he did not have the best game, even to his own admission after the game, he did not have a, a great game um, other than the goal. But I think that will do him a world of good. I think it will do him a lot of, it just takes, it just takes a little extra pressure off him now that he's got his first goal. Yeah, for sure. And that to do that in a Toronto FC shirt for the first time, while well, he had a lot of his family members in attendance. I mean, that's, that's special and also gets the monkey off his back a little bit which is, yeah. I think, always important. Um, just circling back to Berna quickly, like, God, it's not just the quality of this guy. Like, it's there. The quality is very obvious. He's Toronto FC's most dangerous player moving forward. It's the mentality, mm-hmm. right? This, this never give up kind of, I'm going to work harder than everyone else. And, you know, we might be down Lorenzo and Signe, but I'm still here and I'm going to carry this team. The way that he like wants to be here is very obvious and mm-hmm. the buy-in that you get from Federico Bernadeschi it's you don't get that from a lot of stars like he no. seems like he has his feet on the ground humble willing to work his butt off for the team and it shows in in his body language and in his demeanor and his play and and, and it rubs off on his teammates he's a guy that literally can carry a team not just because he's good quality wise, but because it's addictive. Like that personality is contagious and that rubs off. If you're the best player doing that, that rubs off on the rest of his teammates. And I thought we saw that for a majority of the second half uh, with TFC. No, hundred percent. I thought he, he, his play lifted the team. I thought he made a, he went on a couple of decent runs in the early part of the second half uh, that really picked everyone up and and realized that they were still in this game. Um, and mm-hmm. look, you lose one of your DPs and that sucks. And, you know, you kind of almost felt like an energy drop a little bit, kind of like, like, oh, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, but, you know, with him being able to to do that, I think there was a, a point where he and Richie Lorea, I, I don't know if it was at halftime or maybe just after the start of the second half, were kind of, not 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 like in a serious way jawing at each other, but you know, like trying to sort of like pick it up and try to make continue to make that overlapping run behind me, right? So that I can find you and we can connect and we can start to build things. 
And that really was sort of the tipping point for Toronto FC to really take control in the second half. Um, you know, in the end of the day, they won the XG battle. They won the possession battle. They connected more passes. I know those things in in sort of just itself it don't mean you're going to win a game. But the more times you do that, the more times you should be successful um, when when you're facing your opponent. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think the XG didn't. I didn't do this game justice uh, for me. I thought, mm-hmm. like you said, in the first half, DC United could have had two or three goals themselves. I know TFC could have had a goal or two. Um, and then a penalty always sways the XG, where, you know, I think it's worth, what, 0.86 XG or something like yeah. that on a penalty shot. Um, so that gives you a huge boost. Like, But you have to work to earn that, right? Like, it's not it's do. not something, and especially so there was the positives. way that penalty. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. There, so there was positives in the game. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from that, but the collapse is something we obviously have to touch on. Yeah. That's like that stuff obviously just can't happen. Right. And that, no, those I, moments in the game where throw the advanced stats out the window, it doesn't yeah. matter how you play in the game. 100%. If you're not going to close the games out in certain moments. And, you know, one of those moments was Sigurd Rostead losing Christian Benteke on the back post a a moment that yeah sorry go ahead no no well i know you're 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 getting right to it like he has to be stronger in that moment right he has to he has to stand up and be stronger in that moment like i watched that just before we went on air just to double check myself because i'm like okay you know was it a slip did he you know no not really no it was it was simply benteke just bodied him Right. Like, and and I get it. Christian Benteke is not exactly the easiest person to mark. I'm not, I'm not, you know, clearly, you know, he has a reputation for being a big body and a hard, strong body to move uh, when he's in the box. But in that moment, it, I mean, it basically became a free header for him and there was no way he was going to miss that. Yeah. So a couple of things, like when I watch the goals, I I also try and watch as best as I can uh, what happened before them to get to that Mm. position. Um, And just, the way that TFC defended it, someone just missed the marking because I forget who it was that put the ball in for DC, but he was wide open it was uh, to get that. Yeah. Yeah. Too, way too easy uh, yeah. to find that space. He gets a free cross in from the edge of the 18 yard box on a, in a moment that TFC honestly could have defended it just way, way better. Um, and then, yeah, the Ben Teke stuff, like, this is something I'm going to be watching for, I guess, as the season goes on. But I feel like TFC's center backs in Sigurd Rostad and Matt Hedges, they're almost built to defend strikers like Christian Benteke. Like, they're not the most fleet of foot. They're not the fastest guys. But if you look at them together and their size and stature and their ability to win balls in the air, they should be really good at doing that part of the game. But obviously, like you said, Christian Benteke, it's not the easiest thing to mark but when you are winning those types of battles you're not performing up to like that's the reason they were brought in like yes. to win those types of battles and when you don't do that you're not you're not living up to expectations no for sure and look again one game so you know it, we'll we'll uh, sort of chalk it up to to a first game and, and mistakes but i mean even the the winning goal you know uh, again ball comes in way too easily uh and and you you can count you know three players matt hedges michael bradley and jonathan osorio ball watching um and essentially 
to a certain extent, allowing Coup de Pietro into into space on uh, on. It was a cutback, but it wasn't like the most dramatic cutback that I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and and for the fact that he had a time to take a touch, settle it, and hit it, that can't happen in a box. Yeah, and again, like before that though. TFC turned the ball over on the left wing. I think Raul Petretta tried to spray a ball, which, by the way, was the right idea. If we had just a little bit more pace on it, Iowa Canola's mm-hmm. in behind, or at least in the corner, um, in behind DC United's defense. After that is sort of the biggest issue uh, for me, sort of what happened. It was just essentially one pass that broke a line, broke, beat three TFC defenders, and then Michael Bradley came across but didn't really do anything he yeah. came across and it let took space the, yeah let the dc united player just go across him which allowed for the switch of play and leading to the cross in and and finished i thought richie Lorette could have been a little bit stronger on the ball uh during that moment and prevented the cross i think he thought he had him covered but just the way that the dc united player put the ball into the middle of the park and yeah as you mentioned it Matt Hedges takes off the six-yard box. He tries to cut that angle off, and behind him, Jonathan Azora just completely turns off. Like I don't know what Ozo was thinking. He probably thought it wasn't going to be coming in. But yeah, at that point in the game, you can't be doing that. But that's also, you know, to another point, Jonathan Azora turns off. Maybe a lot of it could be mentally, and at that point, the biggest mental hurt is fatigue. Like when you're fatigued and you're tired, it's so tough to think the game clearly and properly a hundred percent of the time. And I thought that was a big reason why maybe he did turn off. Well, we talked about this in the tunnel club and I wanted to get your thoughts on this is this idea of only two subs in this game, right? One injury in force we talked about earlier with IO. And then you talked about Brandon Cervania coming in and, and making a positive impact. He came in in the 77th minute and that was it. Um, and you know, we've banged on the lack of depth drum quite a bit, Mm -hmm. so I don't want to necessarily go down there the whole time, but it's still two subs when you have five available. And, you know, it it did look like in that 90th minute, even leading up to that, probably by the 85th guys were starting to tire and, and legs were getting a little wobbly and, and guys didn't quite have the, the fitness down Granted, look, they're going to still give it their all. But some, Rich, you mentioned Richie Larea could have been stronger in, in the cross on 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 the, on the winning goal. He mm-hmm. also looked like he was running in quicksand at one point, right? Like he looked like he was out of it. Yeah, no, definitely. And one of those changes, I don't know if you mentioned this already, but one of those changes was Iowa Canola for Lorenzo Insigne in the 30, yeah. what, 34th Fourth. minute, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't like to see that first game of the season. And hindsight, so let's just clarify. Hindsight's twenty twenty. If TFC go out, they win this game, they hold off the lead. We're like, oh, great job, Bob Bradley. What a great decision yeah. he made to stay put with the lineup. But obviously that's not how the game played out. <laughs> so we're gonna criticize. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna criticize. And we're like, yeah, Bob Bradley totally should have brought on another center back. Um, but no, the, I think the one thing is that's alarming is, is that it's the first game of the season like you have to be making subs and you watch dc the way that they made subs and the difference that differences that their substitutions made i think the last two goals were all scored both scored by substitutes that came onto the pitch or at least created by substitutes that came onto the bridge um 
the fresh legs in the end of the day probably made the difference in this one. And that's where where Bob Bradley and his and his team have to look back at that one and say, Yeah, you know what? We next time we, we need to make a defensive substitution, whether it is bringing on a guy like Shane O'Neill, who, you know, yeah, sure, we can talk about TFC not trusting their depth, but Shane O'Neill is a that's for five minutes to eight minutes, that's a yeah. good depth option, yeah. right? Even it's not Lucas like they didn't McNaughton, have, right? like, even Lucas McDonald. it's not like they didn't have depth options there. I think it was more so what Bob Bradley told me when I asked him after the game, it was that he thought that TFC were managing the game very well and were almost on the verge of actually scoring another goal. Yes, and they that were. Is, yeah, if you look at that is some, true. Was, yeah. some close, there was some close breakdowns. So I take him at, I take his word at face value for that. Um, Depth is still an issue, though. <laughs> Let's just, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I, I mean, I, I think in that in that moment, especially when you go to two, you know, I, I don't think it's even if you were saying, OK, you know what, we're going to we're going to play out for the draw here. Like it it makes sense. And no, I don't think anybody's necessarily going to criticize you or get too upset if you bring on a third center back. And look, if you do give up the winner at that point, then, of course, we're probably sitting here saying, "Ah, eh, there's a third center back. Why wasn't he doing this or that? But at the yeah. same time, you can understand the move, right? You would understand why you would bring in a third center back and maybe go five at the back at that point. Yeah, exactly. Right. And. Yeah, Bernardeschi, the way that he, I don't know if you remember, like towards the end of the game, he had that slalom run and yeah. almost put it, squared it across the face of goal. Yeah. Like they did almost score. So, But do you remember what happened after that? He pretty much lied on the grass, almost face down for like yeah, 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 35 yeah. seconds because he was yeah, gas. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, I mean, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I I wonder what Bob Bradley's decision is going to be next time, I guess is the best way I'll put that. Well, I mean, I think he'll start to use more of his bench, right? Like, I, I don't think you can roll through the season only doing two subs per game. I know we used to be in a in a world where there were only three subs, um, but that that time in football is gone, right? So if you have the opportunity to use five subs, I'm not saying you got to use all five, but use more than two and and use more than uh, more than one in the second like, half. It's not like Bob Bradley's a new coach. Like it's not like we're gonna look at this and be like, oh, you know what? That was a learning lesson for Bob Bradley. He's mm-hmm. seen games like that play out a million times. So I wonder if it was the same scenario, he makes the same decision. I I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Um I, probably knowing him and it probably he does make the same decision, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, you have that depth, you have it there. Um and and Nine times out of 10, I still think he probably ends up bringing in a third center back. But, you know, I guess we'll take his word for this on this one in terms of like he thought the game was being managed well, but they did take the lead in the the 82nd minute at that point, right? So you're thinking, okay, they can hang on for seven or so or eight or so minutes. Um, But of course, there was another eight minutes of injury time added at the end. Uh, So probably when they saw that eight, you know, the legs get a little bit more wobbly. Uh, when you see that eight flash up on the uh, injury time sign, Can I, just one last thing. Let's wrap up on uh, on this in terms of the game. Um, Sean Johnson. Um, I, I saw some comments that Sean Johnson could have done better on maybe at least two of the goals, especially the first one. Um, uh, the question here is, are expectations too high for Sean Johnson? I guess I would be more as where would you find fault in anything Sean Johnson really did in the game on Saturday? I, I mean, maybe the first goal, maybe, uh, yeah. maybe a, a tad step to the right, 
But I mean, two of those goals, he was left hanging to dry. Yeah, I, I think just the way that it was presented where he would he would be like almost a savior of this defense, right? He's the focal point. He's the biggest signing. You can't do anything almost about, like you said, any of those goals. It doesn't matter who's in net, right? I don't have, I don't take a big issue with the way that Sean Johnson played. Um, I thought in preseason, he actually let in a weaker goal. The one against one of them against the LA Galaxy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought he let in a little bit of a weaker goal. I think the first goal he maybe maybe the first goal he does a little bit better. Uh, but you're right that the last two goals, like what are you going to do? A guy slamming it in from six yards out and a header back post from Christian Benteke that finds the bottom corner. I just wonder if if expectations might be a little bit too high, uh, uh, John Johnson, just the way he's perceived. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know if if expectations too high other than or more that it's just that look it, it was kind of we realized we needed a goalkeeper and everyone knew he was going to be available right it's kind of like that this has to be too perfect of a fit to be true because we knew most likely Alex Bono and Quentin Westberg weren't coming back and also arguably one of the best goalkeepers in MLS was going to become a free agent right it just people were making that connection probably back in like May of last year so it, it, maybe it's maybe the expectations are high, but I mean, I think it's just mainly that everybody had Sean Johnson penciled in as their number one goalkeeper from midway point of last season. And now that he's here, it's kind of like, okay, you got to be better than Alex Bono because we've been crapping exactly. on Alex Bono for like five years. You know, <laughs> right? But like now, the actual the difference between a good goalkeeper and a very good goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. Is maybe comes down to one or two saves a game, right? We're not going to see the massive difference between a Quinton Westberg and a Sean Johnson in one game, right? You see that over the course of the season. You see yeah. the way that certain saves build up and the way that he can command a back line. You're not going to, I don't think at least you're going to really get a true sense of that over one, one game. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and again, like we said on Talent Club, no one's hitting, no one hit panic buttons yet. You know, the sky is not falling quite yet. <laughs> um, but I, I, as I also said, if you do have that pang of concern in you, it's valid. It is valid. Yeah. It, it's it's not it's not something you're not crazy for feeling it. Um, it is valid. I just wouldn't necessarily go and and burn your season tickets yet. Uh, you can't actually burn season tickets anymore because they're all digital. But uh, um, you know, it, it, it's you know we'll, we'll see and and we'll we'll see next week uh, when they are in Atlanta um, on Saturday against Atlanta United. And I have here to start off Tiago Almada, Tiago Almada, Tiago Almada, <laughs> um, because that is the story in Atlanta right now. The, the Atlanta United we are kind of used to is not that team. That team does isn't really there anymore. Um, very much a different style of team, but they do have Tiago Almada, and arguably he is the best player in MLS. I mean, to me, right now, on form wise and in talent wise, he is the best player in MLS right now. I don't know what your thoughts are on there, but that's that's my that's my reading of the of him. Oh yeah, absolutely. He was the most expensive incoming transfer in Major League Soccer. Um, he is touted as the next big sale that's going to be coming out of major league soccer 
Um, and he was obviously a World Cup winner. He went. He's part of the Argentinian squad. And at just 21 years old, I mean, the future is really bright for a guy like Tiago Almeida, and he's going to be the player that Toronto FC obviously have to, have to, have to watch uh, when they go and face Atlanta United. But you're right, you know, Gonzalo Pineda has turned a corner with this Atlanta United team. They get Miles Robinson back, and then you still have important mm-hmm. players like Araujo and I think Lennon's still on that squad. Like they're mm-hmm. they're deep, and with Joseph Martinez now departing, it's a new. It's almost like a new mentality at that squad. It's a it's a I I want to liken it a little bit to Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Manchester United. That's how I look at Joseph Martinez leaving, inner or to Inter Miami because Joseph Martinez at times like yeah, while he is a very talented player and is a good player. He's also a bit of a distraction when it comes to the club. And it seems like whenever he's on the pitch, it's his club. Now he's gone. And they're going to be playing more so Atlanta United football, whatever that looks like. And they obviously had a really big win on the weekend coming from behind to to pick up the valuable three points. And yeah, it's it's not going to be an easy test whatsoever for Toronto FC. No, it will not. And, and look, they did look a little bit sluggish against San Jose um, uh, on the weekend. Uh, Jeremy Abobasi getting the first goal. Um, but again, it Tiago Mata bailed them out um with two like stunning goals. Like they were both stunning yeah. goals. Um the free to, kick. to win it and free kick. And I, I think one that was just like a curler from like maybe about 18 yards out. Um it, uh, I mean, he is the be all end all at, at that point in terms of being able to stop him. He burned us last season um in a similar mm-hmm. fashion um late in the season so you know i think you need to worry about that i think you need to worry about they still have that pace that counter-attacking pace so again defending in transition and not giving the ball away is going to be key um because especially if they're still going to play that three-man midfield um you know you can't be giving the ball away like that because you know if they are mateus quick running down in acres of space is going to look like he was running in quicksand compared to some of the midfielders that they will be facing uh for atlanta united on the weekend um one of the things that i asked in out in the twitter sphere is just you know coming into this weekend what are sort of the key things that fans felt tfc needed to work on uh, on the field in order to be successful this weekend and a lot of the comments come around the midfield, right? We've talked about that quite a bit, um, you know, but I think a lot of that is also, uh, there's some been some comments here and you know, I'll, I'll read a few. Structurally, the midfield was not great on the weekend. Uh, this is from Greg Finley, just saying possibly more important would be for the entire team to play with more energy, especially in the first half. Um, in the end, he felt like Bernadeschi and Akadola were the only ones giving any energy um, at that point. Um, uh, more of uh, sort of the the midfield sort of crimes uh, here from Graham to saying I believe they need to work on the midfield possibly looking um, at a center defense central defensive midfielder we've already been talking about that for quite a bit um, and and just make sure and a lot of comments have been more about building better cohesion in spots around the field especially in possession not so much out of possession funny enough. Um, but it's been more about in possession. And I guess that speaks a little bit to the turnover, um, the turnover stuff that we've been talking about. Um, Mike, we still got you. 
Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to go with the froze there for a sec. Um, but just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on just, you know, the idea around giving this team a little bit of time to connect and bond a little bit more. Although some of the pieces know each other quite a bit, they're still gelling a bit as a team. Yeah, that's why I expect essentially the same starting 11, right? Except obviously no Insigne and Iowa Akinola will will jump in in that place. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. That's probably the biggest challenge that the team is going to have to overcome is that they are a new squad and they're being put into an environment where they're right out of the gate. There's going to be really high expectations for this team. And if they don't come out with the amount of pedigree that they have on the squad and be one of the best teams in Major League Soccer and outplay your opponents that, at least in the style that you want to play by keeping possession and pressing in the right areas of the pitch and creating more goal scoring opportunities in the opposition, then pressure is going to mount and continue to mount on this team. I think you're right. We do have to give them more, just flat out more time to gel as it's the frustration in the fan base that's has, you know, it's boiling over, not just from us, but I feel like within that, within that group, within that team, even Bob Bradley, like you, you sense it a little bit. And as much as you want to start fresh on a year, like like I said, it still feels like last year is lingering over a little bit. Here's a question for you. And and this was the question that was asked to us last week and by somebody uh, on Twitter. I think Jonathan asked this. And um, I answered by saying, look, the, the question was, was the first game a must win to gain confidence within the fan base? And I said, no, mm-hmm. it's not a must win. You want to see this team have a plan, be competent. Okay, maybe not a check mark for game one, but <laughs> game two. Uh, this is game two now. We're probably, like you said, we're probably going to see the same starting eleven aside from Lorenzo and Signe. Um, mm-hmm. Not, a, I'm not going to ask you: Is this a must win for playoffs and positioning? It's not, clearly not. But would you consider this as close to a must win as possible, just to get the fan base a little bit more on side? No, I'd say it's a good must good performance. If that's a thing. <laughs> um, I thought I thought it was really important to go out and get all three points last week because of the schedule that TFC have. We know TFC's history against Atlanta United at Mercedes Benz Stadium, right? They haven't won there in the regular season in six games. I think it is um, three losses, three draws. It's on turf, which is which is even a bigger worry. Uh, I think for this team who just quite frankly can't really afford very many injuries, especially not to to keep players. Um, so I thought it would it have been really important for them to get off on a good note last week. I'm not at the must win territory yet, but or even you know, and I take back the must good performance. I'm not even there yet. We're one game into the season, but I would like from a fan base perspective, and I think fans would like this, so you don't just completely turn on the club, a good performance. Right. And what would a good performance mean? Because like that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? Good performance means mm-hmm. win to a lot of people. A lot of people, good no. performance means just being competent and being in the game. Others will want to see tactical fluidity and proper passing. And what is that? What would that look like to you? For me, it's sharpness uh, with this team. Like, I, I want to see them have clean touches. I want to see them connect well in midfield. I want to see them not have misplaced passes enough uh, or that much. 
Like for me, that's that's the biggest thing with this team is once they get that down, I think they're gonna really the next parts of their game are gonna evolve. You also want to see them not give up stupid goals that are really preventable. Um, the word I feel like you know every year we ha- it feels like we have a buzzword with this team for this one. I think this season's gonna be transition. Just watching the way that this team defends in transition and and being able to just sniff out key moments in transition and put out fires before they actually happen is something I think I'm going to be watching for a lot in this team because it seems like it's becoming, even just dating back to last, a bit of a trend uh, yeah. when it comes to the way that TFC can see goals. So I'd love to see them <laughs> hammer down on that. And, you know, if they go out and they, out, you know, outplay Atlanta United, meaning they create more goal score, intentional goal scoring chance. That's something Greg Vanny always used to talk about is, intentionally creating scoring chances. So not just like huff a ball up and, you know, Iowa can all out muscles a defender and they get a breakaway. Mm-hmm. Like how are they going to, as a team, get into the right areas and create advantages to create an opportunity that you could see was very intentional and was very deliberate in the sense that that's what they were trying to do. And it worked out and they did so by outplaying their opposition. So I want to see TFC do more of that than Atlanta United. And I think from there, we'll see what happens. <laughs> right. I mean, right now it feels like the only way TFC are going to go score goals is out of moments of magic at this point, right? Like a Bernadeschi bit of magic or, you know, Richie being able to to make something happen. That's the thing, right? Individually. I, don't, I, don't, I don't really care for that, to be honest. No, as, neither as do I. A fan. No, I, neither do I. Like, I'm as much as you love moments of magic, you, they're the whole point of them is they're supposed to just be moments, not the consistent way of scoring goals. They don't become as magical if you know if it's the only way you can score. And it feels like right now that's the only way Toronto FC can score. Now, I, I do believe that if they continue this sort of idea of again using some pace and running in behind, they will be intentional in terms of scoring goals that way. Um, and, and and you know uh, again. Diamande getting more understanding with his midfielders, understanding when he's going to go, those triggers that are going to tell a midfielder, yeah, he's going to go. I can trust him to run into that channel. And if I play that ball, he's going to make that run. Or Same thing with Io, right? And obviously cleaner first touch, you know, be decisive. <laughs> well, not even just cleaner touch, just be decisive when you get into those goal scoring opportunities. I feel like that that's, we're talking about the stumble and essentially face plant that he did uh, on Saturday. <laughs> was not so much a, a an issue of his first touch. I thought his first touch put him into a good position to run on goal. It's that he wasn't clear on how what he exactly he was going to do. Was he going to put put his foot through it with power? Was he going to try to place it? Was he going to try to chip the goalkeeper? He just kind of got caught in a couple of different minds, and the next thing you know, he's kind of stumbling over his feet, and then he tries like a half outside the boot kind of chip that doesn't really come off. I almost think he got worried. He got yeah. worried, like he by the defenders that were chasing him down. And when you're a striker, you got to be able to take advantage of like the inches of the game. And he had a a few inches there to make a play, and never did. Well, that's confidence, right? Like, like if he starts to bag a goal or two and starts to sort of get that confidence you're back, right. you start to become. I don't say he's going to turn into Marcus Rashford or anything like that, but that was what happened to Marcus Rashford, right? Like he wasn't scoring forever, and then he got a couple, and then the confidence started to come back, right? And and yeah. look, I, we know Io has bags of talent. We know he can score goals. We've all seen it. Um, it's just now, can he put that back 
uh, into co a consistent rhythm. And, and that's what we're going to be looking for. So a couple of keys to victory, uh, just, I put down here, high energy start, like the start has to be better, right? Like if you're not, if you're not exactly going to be perfectly on the ball, as you mentioned, and be fluid in, in, in terms of your passing, be high energy, right? Like press a little bit, try to get the wooden, the ball back in better positions and give yourself opportunities. They'll bury to get you a scrappy goal. Yeah. Right. Atlanta like you got bury you if you're not exactly right. So like from that perspective, got to be a high energy start. I think limit those sloppy turnovers, um, especially in attack, especially in those positions where you can be countered on midfield, very quickly, man. Yeah. Midfield. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then I think just the third is, know where Tiago Almada is at all times, right? Just know where he is at all times. Um, and, and, you know, if you let him get free, if you let him get into pockets of space in and around the 18 yard box, he will let fly and you give him enough of those opportunities. He will stick one or two in the back of the net. It's a big challenge for TFC's midfield. Once again, like I think people are right when they say the midfield needs to be a lot better. I thought I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it's going to be a big challenge for them. once again, against Atlanta, if TFC's midfield is not up for the test, TFC is not going to win that game. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, let's transition over. Um, and let's, let's continue our continuing series on the over under, uh, TFC player, uh, list for 2023. I think you guys, uh, the listeners had a lot of fun with that on Friday. Uh, so we thought we continue it, uh, today, with me and uh, Michael Singh. And of course, Jeff has actually sent us his over under picks uh, for, for this segment. So we'll read out Jeff's as well, but uh, Mike, this is all you take it away, my friend. Cool. You have uh, do you have Jeff's picks pulled up? I do. I do. Okay, nice. All right. So let's start. We'll, we'll only have a few to go through. Just we'll, we'll leave some for next time. All right. Um, Kobe Franklin is something we didn't talk about last week, even though I was going in alphabetical order. Uh, I skipped over him because he literally just got signed, but I think we should talk about him a little bit. Um, first off, just before I get into his over-under, super happy for the kid. Like I said in my tweet, and I've said this a couple times, it's been a long time coming for yeah. Kobe Franklin. And he's a guy, fullback, and play both the right, and left and I wouldn't be surprised if later on in his career he can also play center back maybe in a back three I think we saw that at times for TFC two last year and he looked solid um Cody Franklin it's gonna be weird but he, he's got huge calves like he's he's, a he's, yeah. he's he's yeah oh yeah and he's built from like the like the base up which I actually think is is important for for getting someone that's like at eight or he's 19, I think now. So getting someone mm -hmm. at his age that has the strength, I think is going to be really important to adapting to the game fairly quickly. And yeah, as you mentioned, he's a baller. Like my favorite thing about him, this is why I put it down for the over-under. So my over-under for Kobe Franklin is whether or not he gets over half an assist. So at least one assist this season. My Because my favorite thing about Kobe Franklin is the way he delivers a ball. Like his ability to swing in across, whether it be from a, a set piece or whether it be on the fly, there's not many better kids I've seen be able to to whip in across like Kobe Franklin and whip in a ball and pick out a pass. Like he's so solid on the ball. Um, so I don't know how many minutes he's actually going to get this season. I think he he might be in line just based on the way TFC's depth is playing out. <laughs> yeah, but. 
over under half an assist, Mike. What do you think about Kobe Fleming? Just a stat for for you. He has seven assists in his career in USL and his next pro matches. So seven assists in 44 matches. Yeah, it, this is a tough one because it depends on if he's going to get enough minutes. I actually think he will. I think he is going to be actually the depth piece or at at one of the at the back positions um at least until you know maybe the summer window opens up and they might find another more senior piece to to fill in but i think he's going to get some minutes and i will take the over on that um i think he i've seen him play at us at usl level and at next at mls next pro i thought he was too mm-hmm. good for mls next pro last year um you know they made the decision not to sign him um maybe because they knew Krishito was coming and he wasn't going to get minutes and they were going to, you know, they were still going to play Petrasso and they were going to give Kobe, uh, uh, not Kobe, um, Kosi um, and, and Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy at time at the right back position. And they brought in Kate and Chung. Yeah. Um, but I think he and will Richard get minutes. is on the radar for a while. Exactly. So, so uh, I think at this point, yes, he will get minutes. I'll take the over on that. Um, what the number is i'm not sure maybe one or two um but I, i'll take the over and uh he was also the defender of the year in usl league one or, or a finalist for defender of the year and named to the best 11 at 18 yep. years old he was by far the youngest player in that so he has really high pedigree and he was also with canada's u17 team that included the jaquils and ralph Prisos. Um, I think Jane Nelson. I don't actually don't know if Jaquil is. Did he team, end up Jane, going to the World Cup? Did he end up going to the U seventeen World I got, Cup? I can't remember. I, I might did. be wrong about that, but Jaden yeah. was definitely and Ralph Priesa were on that team. Yeah. Um, so he's familiar with you know at least. I guess no one's left. <laughs> yeah, well, Jaquil's <laughs> still around. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't remember no. DeAndre Kerr was on that too. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Jeff here has the over as well. Um, so Jeff took the over. Uh, I'm, that, take I'm under, assuming for a similar contrast, you guys. Yeah. You're going to take the under. I'm going to take the under. Okay. And, after and I hyped him up, after I spent yeah. like five minutes. Exactly. He's not going to make it. Any reason. <laughs> I just don't think he's going to get uh, as many minutes and as much opportunities he's got. And he might be, may spend a lot of time with that MLS next pro next season or this season. I'm not, I'm not too sure. You waste. I feel like I don't know. Maybe I I I actually think MLS Next Pro is is a, a step below USL Championship in terms of quality at this point. Um, okay. So I, I don't know, but I would I would I feel like that'd be a waste to me, for me. That's but fair. you know whatever. I think that's fair. Yeah. Oh, right, who we got most this part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is you, buddy. All right, we got a uh, Higo Mbonge. So, brother of Ralph Priso, five goals, six assists, and 18 MLS Next Pro appearances. He's 18 mm-hmm. years old. He's a striker, can also yeah. be used on the wing. Yeah. We talk about pedigree. I just hyped up Kobe Franklin. Guess kid. Different position, but I'm saying, uh, <clears throat> sorry, different position, but I'm saying Hugo Mbonga is actually probably a more or a better prospect than Kobe Franklin. So I'm going to say over under one and a half starts this season for Hugo and Bonga. Yeah. What do you under. say, Mike Newell? Under. Yeah. I just, I just don't, I don't think he's in the plan this year. Uh, and and that's not to say he's not, like you said, you know, again, watch him last season at MLS next pro. The uh, People have been hyping him up since the Academy days. Like it, it's mm-hmm. not a, he's not sort of coming out of nowhere. 
uh, in terms of his profile. Um, but I just don't think he's really in the plans for Bob Bradley. I think he's like an 18 year old who is still a project. He'll get a lot of minutes at MLS next pro. Um, and, and you know, okay. He may get a minute here, a couple of minutes here in a cup game, like in game championship, you know, if they need to use him at that point, but I almost feel like they'll use Perusa, um, for that if necessary. Uh, so I, I just, in terms of just depth, uh, and where he would be in the pecking order at this point, I just don't think he's going to get enough opportunities. Do you think he gets one start this year? No. Doesn't get a single start? No. I'm going to go I feel over. Like you're going to go I'm going to go over. Over one and a half. Uh, I agree with you. He's still very much a project, and I agree with you. At the current moment, the way that it's set up, he's not in their plans. I just don't have complete faith in their attacking options um and while Hugo Mbong is clearly behind guys like Iowa Canola and Diamande and Jordan Peruza for that matter I wonder if at a certain point frustration will boil over and we'll give Hugo Mbonga a look whether that be in a Canadian championship game or whether that be in League's Cup there's a lot of soccer to play this year so I'm saying I'm gonna take the over what does Jeff have Fair enough. Uh, he also has uh, sided with me and gone with the under. Um, and and look, I, I actually hope he does get an opportunity this season to 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 flex. You know, but um, yeah. And and Aaron, um, I hear what you're saying. If he gets the under, you have to loan him out. I think he should be the number one guy at UF uh, at, at, at TFC two. Like, make him the number one striker at TFC two. Give him the bulk of minutes there let him sort of get a full run of games. Cause he was splitting time between himself and Perusa last year um, at the striker position. Um, and of course, as you said, he also was playing on the wing a little bit. He was injured. Um, he was injured for and a lot he was of injured for a part injured. of it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think like make him the main guy, you know, he is, you make him the guy and, and, and sort of see how he handles that being sort of the day in day out number nine on the team. I mean, he had, like I said, off the bat, what was it? Six goals and, or five goals, six assists, and 18 appearances last yeah. season. So yeah. the numbers are there. Um, I guess we'll see how he follows that up this year. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. He's going to get definitely going to get a bulk of TFC two time. But if he really, really excels, I, I, I say give him a yeah, start. Also, the caveat in there, like if he just tears it up in, U, in MLS Next Pro and just looks like he's way too good for that division, then it, sure, he might get an opportunity. I don't know if it'll be a start. He, he They may give him time off the bench, but... Um, I just don't see a start. It's ego and Bongo season. I'm all in. Come on. <laughs> all right. On the current. Next, uh, next one I got Shane O'Neill. Okay. So Shane O'Neill last year, he, when he was brought in from as a free agent from the Sounders, I don't think anyone expected him to play as much as he did last no, season for no Toronto way. FC. He made 21 starts, uh, which an alarming amount for a guy I think was brought in to be TFC's third center back. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously he had Carlos Salcedo and Chris Mavinga as well. So I'm going to set Shane O'Neill's over under at 17 and a half starts. So okay. just remember he made 21 last season and the year before that, interestingly enough for a very good Seattle Sounders team, I think in 2021, very good team. He made 19 starts for the Sounders. Okay. So over under 17 and a half starts for Shane O'Neill. I'm going to go over. Um, I'll go over, and I think 
I think it's going to be one of two things. One, obviously, one of the center backs gets hurt um, of Roasted or Hedges. Um, what I actually think might end up happening is Sigurd Roasted may not work out the way we hope he does. Um, and if that is the case, then Shane O'Neill takes the takes the takes the mantle and plays the games. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't convinced quite yet by Sigaros that, or I mean, I thought actually thought Matt Hedges had a really good game. So let me not include mm-hmm. Matt Hedges in that. I actually liked what I saw out of Matt Hedges. I thought Rose had left some to be desired. Um, I'm a little concerned about their ball playing ability. Um, I thought a few passes they did it right, but some of them were seventeen short. and a half. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, seventeen and a half. I'm going to go under, I think. I don't think he makes 17 and a half starts this season. He'll definitely make more than 17 and a half appearances. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he makes 17 and a half starts. Okay. What does Jeff say? Uh, Jeff agrees with you and most of the listeners. He's going under as well uh, on the starts. I just think that there might come a moment where something isn't quite working out. And again, I hope I hope I'm wrong. This is where I, I actually hope I'm very, very wrong. And Sigurd Rosted turns out to be fantastic and ends up being a bedrock for this team for a long time. But I could also see the very much the opposite of it not yeah. working quite out. And you go back to what you know, which is Shane O'Neill. And then but then he's also competing with Lucas McNaughton too for that. For sure. But I think he's got the he's games. got the step on Lucas right now. I think so too. I think I mentioned last time, speaking to Thomas Romero that he said by far Shane O'Neill is the most like vocal one, mm-hmm. uh, vocal one in the back line. So he's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see exactly how that plays out, but one to watch this season. Moving on. Jonathan Osorio. Ozo. Okay. Not the best first game. I think we can all agree that we saw at Ozo. Uh, definitely still trying to get some of his sharpness back. Mm-hmm. I'm setting the over under for Jonathan Osorio goals at eight yeah. and a half. Okay. So last season, he had nine goals and six assists and 23 appearances. Obviously, mm-hmm. his season was marred with injury. He cut short at the end there with his head injury. He had a career-high 10 goals in 2018 is another fact that I'll throw in there and mention. So over under eight and a half goals, Mike Newell, what do you say? This is a tough one. This is probably the toughest one out of all of them. Um... Thank you. I take that as a compliment. Yeah, I'm going to go under um, and I'm going to go just a shade under. I think he may get to like eight or seven or eight. Um, I don't know if he gets over that. Um, and and, and, I, and this and this is just one historical track, just thinking of his sort of his goal scoring um, and how that works. And also, I think his role might change a little bit um, in terms of what he's being asked to do. Um, so that will be interesting to see now, of course. It depends if Insigne is out for a while, then he may have to be a guy who scores more than eight goals for this team to get where it wants to go, right? That that might change things a little bit. Um, but right now I'm going to say under. And I, and I, when I say under, I mean it's like literally he's going to hit eight and technically that's under. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to go under. I thought he capitalized on a lot of fortuitous bounces last season, um, which, I mean, I don't want to take anything – away from him but a lot of the times you look at his xg those goals don't go into the back of the net Mm -hmm. so his ability to finish was 
he just showed up at the perfect times in the right places last season. I still think he's going to score goals, as you said, this year. Just I don't think at the frequency that he didn't. Aaron in the chat brings up a good point. There's also Gold Cup that you have to consider. Yeah. And that will cut into his, as Aaron says, time a little bit uh, this season as the Gold yeah. Cup is... I think right before League's Cup this year. Yeah, it's in so. June. It's ridiculous. And they're not in the league's not taking a break for the Gold Cup like yeah, they normally no. do. So yeah. they're playing right through. Uh, cool. Jeff has all the right. over on that, by the way. On Ozo. He's all in Ozo season. He's, all, I like he's it. all in on the Ozo season. You know, you know. I'll tell you what. If, if Jonathan Osorio does have a better season than scoring nine goals, then I think TFC has a pretty decent season. Okay, I, I'm not I'm not 100 sure on that. It'll it'll depend um, because I mean they can score a lot of goals. Can they stop them? That's not the question. I don't think <laughs> <goals>, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Jordan Peruse is my next one up on the list. Man, did I really write this amount? So this isn't all competitions. Let me just clarify. Right. So Jordan Peruse. Over under 14 and a half appearances for Jordan Peruza this year. So last season for context, he made 16 appearances, seven in 2021. But I would like to mention that over the course of his two and a half seasons here with TFC, he's played just 520 first team minutes. So not that many minutes. He doesn't start a lot of games. He comes on like near the end of matches, but we're talking appearances here. So yeah, Mike Newell over under 14 and a half appearances made for Jordan Peruse of the season. If obviously you did the research for this, I don't remember Jordan Peruse making that many appearances last season. I know, I know. Like it does not, <laughs> it does not register that he made 16. Where did he make 16 appearances? He last only year? played like 200 and something minutes. Yeah. So he came in like in the last, like, five yeah. minutes of games at times, oh, yeah. right? He's the guy and, you and bring I, on to see out leads. Yeah, yeah, to either see out <laughs> leads or, like, it was already garbage time, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I guess I may take the over. Uh, I'm, I, like, I, I Say don't know. Say with your chest, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the over, and it's simply because I guess he made – well, I mean, I assume most of those appearances would have been made prior to the Italian showing up. Like that, that's probably my assumption. I don't know what Jordan Peruza is to this team. That's another thing. 22 years old, by the yeah. way. Yeah. So I don't know what he is to them now. I, at this point, uh, you know, they signed him. They wanted to make sure he, you know, that if he went to Italy, cause he was going to go sign in Italy. Yeah, and I think he was going to sign for a transfer. Yeah. European interest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they kept him because obviously the idea is like, look, let's get some money for him if somebody wants to come in and sign him. But, the, you know, you got to play him. Uh, you got to show him some value. Now, obviously, he has to earn that time. I get that. But I, I guess it's an over. Uh, I'll say it. I'll say it weekly with my chest, I guess, like not quite puffed out, but I guess. <laughs> yeah i'll take the over I, I again i just i don't know what he is to this club anymore like i don't know wh- where does he fit like i i just don't yeah. see it no i think that's that's fair and he's signed if you remember he signed a contract extension i believe before the start of last season mm-hmm. um he signed to through at least not this season but the season after so through 2024 um but i think it's a i think it's getting to the point where it's going to be a really important season for Jordan Peruza. 
not because I think that it's make or break for him as a professional, but I think it's also almost make or break for him with Toronto FC really soon. Because when you get into this rut of of being a guy who's consistently a squad death player who's not able to break through, then you almost stay there with that club and you almost yeah. need to change the scenery to um reinvigorate, I guess, who you are. But yeah, he's 22 years old. That's not old. But when I'm saying it out loud, based on the amount of opportunities that he gets, and when we're comparing kids like Kobe Franklin and Jaquille and and Hugo Mbong, like how far, how long until Hugo Mbonge passes Jordan Peruza in the Toronto FC depth chart is my concern. If I'm Jordan Peruza, like how long can I stay as the team's number three striking option? I don't think for that much longer, unless you take a, a big step forward, which I think he does have to take. Um, but I think we're going to see the best out of Jordan Peruza when he grows into his body a little bit too. So there's that, right? I, I don't, I think the best version of Jordan Peruza is going to be when he's 27, 28 years old, like a lot of strikers of his profile, when he's physically more dominant than the rest of this league, because he's not like he's quicker than anyone. He's not like he's more skilled than anyone. Like he's a smart player who physically in when he was playing USL Championship and USL League One, he was able to to finish because he was almost more physically dominant than other players. He had that, that sort of edge over players. So, yeah, it's going to take time for him to put it together, but this is almost an important season for him at TFC because I think the clock's kind of running out. No, I, I, I agree. And, you know, just to cover it, and I don't want to, you know, when I say, you know, what is Jordan Peruza to TFC, I don't mean that from a talent perspective. Like, he, clearly he is talented, right? Yeah. It's just, what what does this club see him as, right? It, it's, is it just the third depth striker? Do they actually see him with a future with the club? I don't know. And and, and the, the appearances that he gets doesn't really help give any kind of clarity on what exactly that role is. Yeah. Um, so we'll see the season. I'm going over on that. Jeff has also taken the over, by the way. Um, yeah. But I don't say that with a ton of confidence. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go the over just because I think he can also play the wing um, and they just don't have depth options, quite frankly. Um, so I'm with you guys. We're gonna, all going to go over there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Like, I, I don't like he's a guy who, who bleeds TFC, by the way, bleeds yes, Toronto, he does. says all the right things, would would rather sit on the bench for Toronto FC than go play for another club. That's essentially the vibe that I get out of Jordan Peruza. But is that the um, so, right? Like, I uh, understand the loyalty. Like he'd, it, he'd do any, anything for the club, essentially. Exactly, and, and I love that to a certain extent. But I also want to see him play, not just from a TFC perspective, but maybe from a national team perspective, right? Like, you know, if he goes somewhere and he can get minutes and really evolve as a striker and it's away from TFC, is that not better for your career, right? If TFC just don't have the plan for you, especially if they do Absolutely. decide to bring in a, a DP number nine in the summer. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you and I are on the same page there, but I, I think it's worth mentioning. Just you don't come across kids like that very often True. who understand, I guess, what it means to be a TFC player and how much that means to him. So I give him credit in that regard. I think more so than it is a knock on him. Um, last one I have, Raul Petretta. Bob Bradley actually had praise for Raul Petretta after this one. Let me just quickly read his quote. Um, he was essentially asked, 
whether Raul Petrata stood out as a guy who stepped on the field and looked good from the start. And Bob Bradley said he would agree with that. Um, he went on to say he thinks Raul has adjusted very quickly to the way that TFC want to play, to the league, his understanding of the game. He's a very smart player. All of those things I think are already there. Hopefully that's a good sign and we can keep building on that. I didn't see the same thing no, in his debut, but <laughs> as a head coach, what are you going to say, right? You want to, yeah. if you're asked a question like that, and it's phrased like that, you want to back your player, especially for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was a lot to be desired. That being said, there were moments where he looked really dangerous going forward. It's, it's yes. quite clear that he can pick his head up and make a pass. Um, he has the legs to get both up and down the pitch. Um, I liked his energy. I liked his work great. I thought he was one of the players actually um, up until the last minute of the game whoop, didn't really show that he was burning out. It looked like fitness-wise he's all there, uh, which is great. And yeah, I agree. He is a smart player. You can see that. Um, so that's why I actually want to set his over-under for assists this season at three and a half assists. Over-under three and a half assists for Raul Petretta, just for context. In 152 appearances for FC Basel, he had 10 goals and 12 assists. So under over under three and a half assists, Mike Newell. Yeah, I'm going to go over. I think you're going to need him to have three and a half assists to get to where you want to go, um, especially the way they play. Like he's going to have to to be connecting with well i mean when lorenzo insignia gets fit again but even when if it's io Akinola, or if they decide to put jordan peruzza out there as a left-footed or if they want to maybe use jaquille marshall ruddy as an inverted right-footed winger he's gonna have to have those overlaps with with that winger and he's gonna and he's gonna get opportunities and should have opportunities to feed the ball into the box right so i think if TFC wants to get to where they want to go. I think he's going to have to be a critical piece in that attack. Yeah. And I think he might just get an assist or two just by laying the ball off to a guy yeah. like Lorenzo Insigne or swinging in a couple of crosses, Diamande or, or, or Federico Bernardeschi. I, I think. Yeah. I'm going to go over all competitions. I'll go over. Yeah. I, I, I again, I think he, yeah, uh, Jeff has the under actually, um, and I saw some okay. people in the comments have the under. I get I get where you're coming from from a pers- perspective of you know generally we d- we're not thinking about left backs too much in assists, but the way that fullbacks now work in football, you almost need them to be as good in terms of delivering crosses and cuts back. Yeah. yeah, deliver a cross or a cut back than it is for you to defend. Right. So from that perspective, yeah, I'll take the over on that, and I think he should be able to get there. Yeah, especially if he connects well with like Lorenzo Insigne, who uh, at times does tend to cut inside. So if he can cut in and Petretta overlaps, I can see him. I can see him picking up a few assists. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, it seems like you, the, the listeners love the over/under uh, game that we're playing. So we'll we'll do another <laughs> set uh, next week. Uh, Michael uh, Singh will pull out another. Uh, but how many? Uh, we, we can't have that many left on the roster, right? We've no, probably like through. seven players left. Yeah, yeah but exactly. some important players. So it'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go through that uh, next week uh, and we are going to close out the show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Toronto Till I Die. We will be back next Monday evening recapping TFC's uh, road trip to Atlanta. Hopefully it's a better vibes show.
You know, <laughs> we, we, we'd love one where we're you just like singing the praise and there's nothing but nice things to say. Um, like, subscribe uh, and review Toronto Till I Die wherever you watch or listen uh, to the show or podcast. Just search Toronto Till I Die where, uh, you know, just Google search it. You'll find us on all the platforms um, and then, uh, you know, listen in and subscribe. Uh, to your heart's delight. Uh, lastly, I'll mention that the Tunnel Club is back. Uh, Sean Levy and I kicked off season two on Sunday with a low vibes episode uh, on Twitter spaces. Uh, but we will be back this weekend after the Atlanta game uh, to give our thoughts, to get your thoughts. Um, so uh, definitely bring those in. Tweet at us and follow us at TFC Tunnel Club uh, for show times and uh, the links to the show as well. Go ahead, Mike. We didn't dive into Nick Bontis, um, Ooh, which is fine. Right. Yeah, 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 We don't have to mention too much about it. Just acknowledge the fact that Nick Bontis did resign and step down, which is, you know, from outside looking in and from the player's perspective is probably just a, a step in the right direction for the players. Um, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. Like way more has to come from just this, right? Yeah, and I think a lot more is going to come, especially as the Canada Soccer has to go in front of the uh, Heritage Committee uh, in a few weeks. Uh, exactly. So government getting involved in there. Uh, yeah, we, we won't go too far in that. Other than that, Nick Bontis, yes, he has stepped down, but oddly enough, is not stepping down from his CONCACAF vice president's role. So he will still very much be in the soccer realm, um, now just on the continental level and not so much um, at the national level. Um, but that's it for the show. Um, so for Michael Singh, I'm Mike Newell. Thank you for listening. Uh, and we'll catch you all next week. Cheers, everybody. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.